Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for coming. Delighted that you're here on this five-degree day. Hallelujah. Let, 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 let me tell you about a mythical guy uh, named Fred. Fred um, is having trouble sleeping at night. He has acid reflux, and uh, he notices that walking upstairs uh, leaves him breathing uh, harder than normal. So he goes to see a cardiologist, goes through a bunch of tests, three to five minutes on their treadmill. On a scale of one to 10, 10 being the worst, he's a seven. And uh, doc says, you don't need surgery now, but uh, if you don't change your lifestyle, you're, you're, you're going to need, you're gonna have serious heart problems. And suggest a very um, uh, consistent workout regimen, three times a week. And um, Fred says, you don't understand, I have a bad heart. <clears throat> Don't you realize how winded I'm going to be? Don't you realize if I do all them stretches, I'm, I'm going to be sore and I can't do all that. You fix my heart and I'll be able to do this. And the doc says, that's what I'm trying to do. <clears throat> I'm trying to fix you. We have hearts. We have hearts. You've got this thing in your chest that beats millions of times in your lifetime. It's, it's an amazing machine. Millions of times through who knows how many miles of blood vessels and arteries and veins, and it's incredible. I have a very, very close friend that just had a heart um, replacement surgery. And um, just uh, that this, this natural heart is an amazing organ. But there's another heart in the Bible. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That that thing of yours that got uh, broken in school when Bonnie Kosovic told me she didn't like me anymore and she was going, she wanted the baseball pitcher for her boyfriend. My heart was broken. <clears throat> Kept pumping the blood, natural heart's good. Or that thing that you get, you just swell with pride when one of your children do something amazing. And of course, they're all amazing. And, uh, that heart thing is a big deal. Bible says in Corinthians 15, albeit that is not first, which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward, that which is spiritual. So that stained glass, I'll translate it for you. The natural always comes first, then the spiritual. Uh, there's lots of examples. Genesis 2 and 7 it says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. So that's the physical body. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and he became a living soul. Natural first, spiritual second. What's true for the natural heart is also true for our spirit heart. <clears throat> the man that started this church years ago was an amazing Christian. His name was Carl Hill. He had a favorite song, Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. I wish singing a song could change your heart. But it's going to require effort. And um, you won't change your heart without changing your habits. 
And um, there's no miracle cure. There are no quick fixes. You can't microwave this one. This one is, uh, you're, you're not going to break a habit overnight that took you years to ingrain into your lifestyle. You, you can pray every day for a generous heart, but until you learn to give, you're never going to be generous. And uh, um, I don't know how many times in my life I've prayed, oh, Jesus, please give me a smaller appetite. <clears throat> and I'll eat less. It, it doesn't work that way. We're talking about four monsters, greed, anger, jealousy, and guilt. And... Uh, they, uh, have you ever said, well, that, that's just the way I am, you know? The men in our family uh, are famous for their tempers. Or uh, <clears throat> what can I say, Pastor? I'm an emotional girl. And uh, my wife and I made an agreement last year that we would lose some weight, but there was a problem. I really enjoy eating. <clears throat> uh, truth is, it's a temperance issue, you know. Uh, now, I explained it away by saying I have a greater appreciation for people who have a culinary gift in their life. And uh, <clears throat> not everybody can appreciate that. But uh, I, I guess the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, there's a little bit of Fred in all of us. And uh, we like to dismiss it and laugh off our habits, just like I just did. But, um, you know, we pray for change. All, all the while making excuses. Um, we want to wake up one morning with a generous spirit and guilt-free and anger-free. And Pastor, are you trying to make me into someone I'm not? Yes. Yes, I am. Uh, so just like natural exercises are required to strengthen your natural heart, we're going to do some spirit exercises to deal with your heart and uh, be, because the longer you live with guilt and hang on to your anger, cling to your stuff, and compare yourself to somebody else, there are going to be some uncomfortable days ahead, but it's, it's worth the effort. I have never met a physically fit person that regretted getting into shape. Let me translate it this way. I have never met someone who regretted having a good habit. People that exercise their inner heart are a joy to be around. And um, I'm dealing with, I got to be careful. I'm splashed all over the planet here right now. Am I talking to anybody right now that's systematically been losing friends for a while and you don't understand why? Is there anyone here today that's lost one or more long-term relationships recently? Um, people that were always there for you, but now... You, you, they're not there. You know something is different. It's like when a girl says, you know, um, it's, not, it's not you, it's, it's me. It's you. <clears throat> it's you. You know? Um, I, I, I guess after years of pastoring, I would like to believe that everybody is on a quest for the truth. But I've come to realize that most people just want to be happy. You know, and you go to a doctor and he gives you all these tests and he says, I'm going to cut you from stem to stern and I'm going to take this out. This doesn't work anymore. We're going to put this in there. Now this we can repair, but we're still going to have to work on that. Um, <clears throat> then I'll put you back together. It'll take you about six months and uh, 
probably by August, you'll be in pretty good shape. And you go, no, 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 no. I just want to feel better. People approach church like that. You know, <clears throat> I, I, I just, I just want to feel better. Well, there's going to be some repentance involved and some commitment. Commitment. Whoa. I mean, Jesus feeds thousands of people with, a, with, a, with, with bread and fish, you know, and they're munching on this miracle stuff and all he goes, okay, <laughs> class, time for, time for, time for, uh, you know, let's, let's, let's teach a little lesson here. You know, that fish and you're munching on and uh, um, you're, you're going to have to take me into you just as you're taking this into you. You're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. <clears throat> and all of a sudden they, uh, they're choking on it and um, say, you know what? Uh, <clears throat> you know, my folks, I, I need to go home and take care of my folks until they die. And uh, um, I just married a wife and I just bought a piece of property. Now, ladies and gentlemen, there is absolutely nothing wrong with owning real estate. There's nothing wrong with taking care of your mom and daddy. There's nothing wrong with getting married. Those are all viable things. But Jesus called it iniquity in that particular situation. Right. Pretty interesting. And so, you know, uh, I, 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 the people that I've been around that were enjoyable to be around, it's almost like it, it came natural to them. Uh, <clears throat> you, know, you say, well, they had all the breaks. I, I've, I've met people that live in less than enviable circumstances and they're happy. For years, I, I've taken my wife to, to Cozumel in February. I, I love Michigan. I love change of seasons. I just don't like February. And uh, it's the shortest month of the year, but to me, it's the longest month of the year. And so <clears throat> I, I go where it's warm for a little while. And um, hoping it'll be spring by the time I get back. It never is, but uh, I can always hope. And uh, I remember a couple years ago being in a cab, and uh, which is a very, very modest. The, the average income in, in Cozumel is $8,000 a year. And um, uh, cab drivers don't make that. And um, I, 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 it's what I do. I just talk into this guy, and I said, you know, you look really familiar to me. And he grinned and he said, where are you from? And I said, uh, Detroit. He said, I lived in Detroit for a while. I said, really? He said, yes, I'm, I, was, I pitched for the Detroit Tigers. And uh, found out his name was Juan Acevedo. And uh, he'd been with several major league ball clubs. And uh, we began to talk. It just amazed me. Here's a guy that obviously made a lot of money in baseball, driving a cab, and uh, uh, explained to me that he had made some poor investments, and uh, that was how he was surviving, by driving a cab. And he was very, very happy. And, and I said, well, uh, you've been here for a long time. What, what, what do you see? And he said, the island's changing. And I said, well, is, is that good or bad? He said, it's bad. And I said, why? He said, because... People are moving here from Mexico and from the States. And he said, they're changing the personality of this island. He said, Cozumel people were always happy. But he said, the majority of people that live on this island now, they're not from here. They're, they're, not, they're not happy people. And uh, you, you can come into the deception of thinking that if I just had everything perfect, I, I, I would be happy. 
That's not accurate. Let me, let me give you some Bible examples. Adam and Eve backslid in what the Bible calls paradise. <clears throat> backslid fallen paradise. There's, there's a, Moses is called the meekest, the meekest man on all the earth. And yet there was a guy following him by the name of Korah that literally, the Bible said the earth opened up. God rained fire and brimstone on him and closed. He barbecued him in, in the earth. And this, they're following. They have a great leader. The great leader. They're, there's, there's these two guys, I, I get them confused, Elijah, Elisha. Elijah, he, he had seven notable miracles in his life. Elisha wanted a double blessing, a double portion of what his pastor had. And if you study his ministry, he had 14 notable miracles happen in his life. And see, ladies and gentlemen, there are people that walk with God. And there are people who walk with people who walk with God. It, it's not the same. You see, you see like... Uh, um, Paul walked with God. Demas just walked with Paul. He didn't walk with God. He just hung out with the guy that did. So Elijah is the pastor and he's got a protege. He's got an assistant pastor named Elisha. They both walked with God. Elijah's translated. Elisha now has the mantle. Elisha has an assistant pastor. His name is Gehazi. Gehazi doesn't walk with God. He just walks with Elisha. Here's a guy that's, that's, that's serving a double portion prophet and he still loses out with God. He, he, he still loses out with God. I, you, Judas backslid following Jesus. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira backslid in the first church in Jerusalem. Demas backslid following Paul and Lucifer backslid in, in heaven. So you can have the best environment in the world and still not make it. Let me give you the flip side. Moses is adopted. There's a great scripture in Hebrews that said, by faith when he came to years, he refused to be called the child of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season for he had respect under the recompense of reward. You know, there's this amazing verse there where he, he, he saw, I mean, he, he understood that a servant was never greater than his Lord. This is what it says. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than all the treasures of Egypt. You've got to understand when you deal with Christ, that's a New Testament concept. It's God, Lord. But when you get Jesus Christ, this is, this is past Malachi. This is revelatory stuff. And yet Moses knew that his God was going to take on flesh and was going to hang on a cross and esteem the reproach of Christ. Greater riches than it. He saw that. He saw that. He came to a day. I mean, if, any, if I understood what, what Egyptian concepts were, he, he's, he's in line to be the king. If anybody knows the balance in the royal checkbook, it's Moses. All he's got to do is shut up, and it's his. But all of a sudden, they're walking down the street one day, and he says, now, son, when you get 16, I'm going to buy this. And he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not my mom. I'm not an Egyptian. Dumb, dumb financial move. But he saw it. This is, this is an, uh, we've got people in this room right now that were adopted. There's a lot of adopted kids with a chip on their shoulder. Let me tell you about Moses. Moses was adopted, but he was one of the greatest leaders the Bible ever displays. 
You, 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 get, you got Joe. Here's, you know, they asked Joe, what's the worst thing that could ever happen? And he goes, I think if God killed me and never told me why, but though he slay me, I'm still going to trust him. Satan doesn't get that. He said, that's not Job serve thee for not. Satan doesn't understand love. He has no concept that he's serving you for the perks. He's serving you for the per diems. And he said, you really, how, I love this. It says, have you considered my servant Job? What is it? How would you like to live in such a way that God himself has such confidence in you that he recommends you for the trial? Wow. And he loses all of his stuff and his kids are dead and he's financially bankrupt and he's lost his health. And he said he wouldn't charge God foolishly. Hosea's married to a prostitute named Gomer. She has three kids. He never did know if any of those kids were his, but he stayed faithful to her. It's just Rhoda. I, I did a lot of work on this years ago and studied Roman law. Roman law did not require slaves to participate in the religion of their masters. And yet when Peter got out of prison and knocked on the door, it's very specific. Rhoda, a servant girl. This is a slave girl. She's got every right and reason not to be in church. I'm a slave. You read that story. We don't even know her name. She's an unnamed prisoner of war who tells a Syrian general, Naaman, if you just go back to where I live, there's a prophet there that could heal you of your leprosy. If I was a prisoner of war, the last thing I'm going to do is tell them bums that are controlling me anything that's going to get them out of a jam. But this girl, instead of being full of bitterness and hatred, literally gives the key to deliverance and healing to her master. I, 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 I mean, John, John was on Patmos. Patmos is the Alcatraz of its day. But he said, I was in, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I got into paradise. I was on Patmos, but I got in paradise. I'm trying to show you something. I can give you examples of people that had the best environment and blew it. And people that had lousy environments and they had victory. It's a hard issue. It's a hard issue. My God have mercy. Haven't you lived long enough to understand that happiness is not synonymous with wealth? I know lots of people got more stuff than I'll ever have and they're not happy people. They're not fun to be around. Oh man. If, you know, if wealth works against happiness. I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I'm, I'm in my 60s, man. I, 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 I'm in a different season of my life. House is paid off, cars paid off. I can pretty much afford to buy anything I want within reason, you know? And, and it's, just, it's, it's just where I live. It's just a, a life, if you want what I have, then live the way I live. That's all I can tell you. Well, that's nice. Yeah, it's good. God gave it to me. I remember a time my wife and I gave every, 1988, we gave everything that we had, everything that we had. And, 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 and came here with nothing. We came here with nothing. And, and, and when the crunch hit, I bought this house. I bought a house for 300,000 bucks. And when I got the papers from it, I found out that they started building the house in March of 1988, which was the month Renee and I came to this city. And they sold it for a million bucks in the March of 1988. And, it, and, it just, and, and I bought it for 300 grand. It was a good deal. But I had some cash during the crunch, which was nice because cash was king, you know. And, and people go, wow, 
What a house. Yeah, it, it was, it was literally, I didn't, you remember Abraham and Isaac going up one side of the mountain and a ram getting caught in a bush and the other, he didn't even see it. He didn't even know what was going on. Renee and I came here with nothing, had no idea that the very month we came here, God started building us a house. I'm just, I'm just being, you know, I learned that I'm not ashamed of what I have. I just want to say, if you want what I got, then live the way I live. Okay. Because people say, well, that's a nice house. Yeah, it is. God gave it to me. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. God gave it to me. So I sold that house, had enough money to pay cash for this one. That's what will happen to you in this season of your life. You won't, you won't have to, always have to drive secondhand cars and you won't always have to pay the bank. That money works for you 24 hours a day if you get on the other side. I, I, I'm, I'm being very frank, but I mean, let me tell you what, the, the more stuff I've accumulated in my life, I found out this, you got to buy it, you got to have insurance on all that stuff. And, and, and you got to maintain all that stuff. And, and you, and you got to put alarms on it and you got to make sure somebody doesn't steal it. There's, there's bums out there. A month ago, Visa called me and said, Mr. Hubman, you've had the same Visa number for years. In, in terms of safety, we're going to send you a new card. Thank you very much. God love precious Valerie, who keeps all my accounts and everything straight. She, I know she was going out of her mind because now she's going to have to get all that stuff. I don't keep track of all that. I got a Valerie, you know, thank God. Hallelujah. You know, but she's going to have to go through all that stuff and give them people the new credit card number. So I get, I go to eat yesterday and they deny my credit card. So I call up Visa and said, what, uh, someone, stole your, someone stole your number. Did you try to buy $600 or $400 worth of makeup? A day before? No, I don't think that was me. You know? It's just, it's just, I, 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 I had some money in an account. I was trying to build a house. And, and all of a sudden, I, I got this warning. Your, your accounts have been hacked. I go to Chase, and all of a sudden, this lady said, Mr. Robin, you, there's a, it, it happened in Russia. Someone got a hold of your accounts. They emptied your account. That was the money that I had to pay a contractor for a house. It was a lot of money. And it was like, what am I going to do now? And I'll never forget that woman. She said, oh, wait just a minute. She said, are you ready? Bam. She said, there, we just got it back. And it was a good day. And I bought her roses and, and, and just, just, I was grateful for that. My point is that, that there's, just, there's just a lot of undue anxiety and stress. Get all this stuff you want. But I'm warning you, you're going to have to shine it. You're going to have to keep it out of snow. You're going to have to buy insurance on it. You're going to have to keep it away from the thieves. It's just the more stuff you get, that does not bring you happiness. It's just going to give you more stuff you got to keep track of. It's just... You know, for all of you independently wealthy people who are not in this room right now, uh, don't despair. Happiness is no respecter of persons. <laughs> uh, old rock and roll guy named Meatloaf said, you're never going to get a Coupe de Ville in a Cracker Jack box. And it's just, uh, so let's begin. Hey, because every, every seasoned vampire knows that all it takes is a little bit of light to separate the good guys from the bad guys. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. One time he said, the God of this world hath come and he found nothing in me. Why? He's got no shadows. There are no dark corners. Satan only does his work in the dark. Jesus is light. Okay? What a, you know, guilt and anger and greed and jealousy. They're like roaches. You turn the lights on and they, they're skedaddle. And, and that's what you've got to grab. That's what you have to get. These things lose their power when they're exposed to light. 
And this is going to be our exercise today. This is because, because we, I used to have God, what do you know? I don't know if it's God. I, I was a nerd in school, okay? I, uh, I, 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 mother always dressed me nice and I had nice shirts and nice pants and I just wanted a pair of jeans. And uh, I think I got a pair of jeans before I got out of school, but uh, if I was going to be Esther's boy, I was going to dress nice. I was a nerd. I was a geek. I really was. I was raised in a church where so many things were off limits. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do that. Couldn't do this. Couldn't do that. Okay. And I survived, but a lot of them didn't. And um, I, I still remember, I, uh, I, I had a cousin. His name was Bobby Osman. And uh, Bobby was everything. He was Mr. Baseball and great football player and just... He was handsome and everybody liked him and, and he always felt sorry for me and he would invite me to sit at his table during lunch and I was only too happy to sit with all the cool people at lunch. And I met this kid named Fred Gazetta. Fred, for whatever reason, he liked me. He was handsome and, and he had a Porsche. I just wealthy, 17 years old with his own Porsche. Man, it, it was like a... Zephyr and a dream for a kid like me. But uh, he was the football guy and great athlete. And, but uh, he liked me. And uh, we got to talking about religion and wondered, you know, why I went to church so much and why I did what I did. And he said, oh, Harold, you need to join my church. He said, I could do whatever I want. He said, once a month I go in this box, I tell the guy what I did wrong. I do three Hail Marys, a couple of Father, Done. New, new, clean slate. He said, I can do it all over again. <clears throat> it's gone. And I didn't say it to him, but it was like, you know how stupid that sounds. And, and then as I thought about it and as I got older, I realized um, <laughs> I was doing the same thing. Uh, because, you know, uh, uh, I mess up, I confess, God forgives. I found a loophole, an escape hatch. <laughs> uh, I remember one time in another church where I was involved in, uh, there was a young guy that um, had a temperance issue and always violated uh, sexual things with girls. But if he repented, he always believed God made him a virgin again. And that was fine until he found the girl he really wanted to marry. And he told her that he had no prior experience until she found out that was all a lie. It was over. He lost a great woman because of a twisted concept like that. I can do anything I want and just say, please forgive me. And it's gone. It's just, what's, what's, you know, my sin... I remember as a kid, man, every night, boy, I'd go over the list, you know. Sometimes it was short, sometimes it was long. Forgive me this, forgive me that, forgive me that. And then I could go to sleep because my sin bucket was empty. And, uh, <clears throat> and uh, but odds are I was going to, odds are I was going to fill it up the next day with the very same stuff I confessed that, confessed that night. But I confessed and I was counting on God to keep his end of the deal. And, uh, but that created a dangerous trend. <clears throat> I know this is wrong, God. 
But if I do do it, I know I can confess and you are duty bound to forgive me. The, the problem with the Catholic and the Pentecostal confessional booth is it does nothing more than supports our sin habit. <clears throat> let's just run to the altar or let's run into a confessional booth. Let's air our dirty laundry and go on our merry way. In too many instances, ladies and gentlemen, people aren't confessing to change. They're confessing to relieve their guilt. The the routine has nothing to do with wanting to change. I, I, I just didn't want to feel guilty. I wanted to feel better. And lots of people play the confession game because we want to feel better about ourselves. Go to a priest, go to an altar, whatever. I'm sorry, you have to forgive me. I feel better about my sins. Now that I have God off of my case, I can, uh, maybe he'll be by my side. Let me ask you a question. Would you you want a relationship with someone that treated you that way? Imagine you had a brother that always stole from you, continually embarrassed you in public, talked badly about you behind your back, and every week he would come to you and in some very general term said he was sorry. No sooner was he gone and he was doing the same stuff to you and back to his old tricks. Even, even if you're able to forgive him every time, there's not going to be any relationship. I, I, I keep harping on this thing. God hates religion. God is not into religion. God is about relationship. And if all you want is some surface deal, I'm sorry. Uh, 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 Our approach to confession is an insult so many times to Jesus. Watch, I'll prove it to you, watch. Here's Numbers 5, 6, and 7. Speaking of the children of Israel, when a man or woman shall commit any sin that men commit, to do a trespass against the Lord and that person be guilty, then they shall confess their sin which they have done, and he, watch, he shall recompense his trespass with the principle thereof and add unto it the fifth part thereof and give it unto him against whom he has trespassed. Let me, let me give this to you in layman's terms. Jews hated interest. <laughs> hated it. God hated it. As a matter of fact, I can give you lots of verses where he told them, you don't ever charge your brother interest. Never. He borrows a thousand bucks from you, he pays a thousand bucks. He don't pay 1100 back. You don't compound it daily. You never charge your brother interest. Yet in this verse, it says, and you add unto it the fifth part thereof and give it unto him against whom you trespass. You understand what's going on here? (laughs) You're talking 20% here. This is not them paying you back a fifth. 
This is God saying, if you really want to fix this, then let's make it hurt. Because you hate interest as much as I do. But I'm going to compel you to give 20% more to whoever it is you owe. Just so you'll remember, I don't ever want to do this again. I'll prove it to you. Here's, here's, here's Jesus. I mean, there's two extremes here. He's walking through a crowd and a woman grabs the hem of his garment. She's been bleeding, hemorrhaging for years. I won't give you all the Bible, but you, you, you're unclean. And, and it's, 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 it's an embarrassing situation. She grabs it. There's, there's a great verse. It's in Malachi. It said, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The word translated wing in English is kanaf in Hebrew. The word also can be translated edges or borders of the garment. So what it's saying is one of the ways you'll be able to locate and identify Messiah is the borders of his garment will have healing power. I don't know if she knew that verse or not, but she grabbed, she obviously, she she can't, the crowd, she can't get through the crowd. So she literally submits herself and crawls. And here's this him swinging between the sandals and she reaches and grabs that and bam, she's healed. I I love that verse because I think that's like Matthew, I I think it's Matthew nine. It's like five chapters later, it says, and many besought him that they would just touch the hem of his garment. If this is not the woman. This is people that said, it worked for her. It'll work for me. She opened up a whole, a brand new ministry that had never happened before. I love that verse. How many, how, I wish I had time to talk to you about the lost Leonardo. Leonardo da Vinci is credited with 13 major works of art. But, but, but I, I, I have his name written down. I, was, I spent a lot of time with this not long ago. But there, there's, there, there are, there are, in the art world, there are people known as sleeper hunters. And they, 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 they look for undervalued works of art. And a man saw this painting on a piece of wood in New Orleans. And he had this gut feeling. And he bought this thing for $1,500. What they have discovered now is it is known as the lost Leonardo. It's been appraised at $43 million. He paid 1,500 bucks for it. But he saw, he saw, he said there was something about that that just reached out. My, my, my point is, I wonder how many things in the Holy Ghost are in mothballs right now. They're just sitting on a dusty shelf somewhere, just waiting for somebody to realize, I think there's value there. I think there's something amazing there. Praise God. Praise God. The Bible said old men dream dreams and young men see visions. I'm I'm, I'm 64. I'm not young anymore. My job is to keep on dreaming because when your memories are more important to you than your dreams, you're getting old. I don't want to live in yesterday. I want to live in tomorrow. All right. But listen to, whoa, whoa, whoa. It does not say without a dream, people perish. It says without a vision, people perish. Vision is the backyard of the young men and the young women. That's why as elders, our job is to keep on dreaming. But for goodness sakes, don't disparage the visionary ministry of our young men and women. Encourage that. Hallelujah. Why? It just might be sitting on a shelf. No one's ever done that before. Well, let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. It's it's something powerful. This woman grabs, there's two extremes here. She's crawling. The other guy climbs a tree. Okay, he works for the IRS. All right, he's a tax collector. 
Jesus comes on the tree and he says, I'm coming home with you today. Can you get the picture, man? A guy runs home and tells his wife, set 13 plates. We're having 13 guests for lunch. Now, if I did that to Renee, she'd freak out on me. No, no, no. You don't do that without telling me. Can't you see that? Zacchaeus, for goodness sakes, why didn't you tell me you're inviting three, 13 guys for lunch? I didn't invite him. He invited himself. And Jesus walks in and just his presence. Bible said in his presence, there's fullness of joy. In his presence. The Hebrew word is kabod, heaviness. There's something powerful going on there. All right. He's in the presence of Jesus. Watch, watch what he says. He said, the half of my goods I will give to the poor. And if I have, if, <laughs> if, well, if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold, fourfold. This is a good Jew, man. This is what he's saying. He said, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to split it right down the middle. I'm giving half of my fortune away right now. And to those people that I ripped off, I'm not going to give them 20% back like the book says. I'm going to give them 400% more. Four times what I gave them. Trust me, for a tax guy, that hurts. Jesus didn't say, oh, you don't have to do anything. You confess it. It's fine. You're forgiven. That's not what he said. Listen to what Jesus said in 19 and 9. This day salvation has come to your house. Why? Because you just didn't confess it. You did something about it. Ladies and gentlemen, our problem in Pentecost is we think when we repent, it's over. Repentance is the beginning, not the end. You need to make that experience so unpleasant that you say, I never want this to happen to me again. You need to intentionally humiliate yourself and embarrass yourself and put that sin in its proper perspective and say, I don't ever, ever, ever want to have to deal with that again. I don't want to have to ever give that much money away again. That, that, that will be a velvet chain that will stop you. And that's why Jesus said, if you bring your gift to an altar and you, and, and you remember you've got all with your brother, I'm not even, leave, leave your gift. You don't need to take, leave your gift, go get reconciled with your brother. Then come back. I mean, I mean this, this, is a, this is a powerful lesson. I mean, pastor, aren't we supposed to put God first? You know, isn't our relationship God the first priority? It shouldn't worship God around an altar, take priority over my relationship with my neighbor. This is what Jesus taught. Your work and your walk with God is predicated upon your relationship with your neighbor. How can you worship a God that you've never seen if you can't get along with people that you do? By this show, I'm gonna know you're my disciples because you talk in tongues like, no! Because there's a love factor between you and your brother and your sister. Hallelujah. It's just, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me closely. You'll never resolve your differences with God if you're unwilling to resolve your differences with your brother and your sister. <laughs> Hallelujah. You read Corinthians 11. In Corinthians 11, there's two huge subjects. We get it wrong in Pentecost. We've been so wrong about Corinthians 11. Oh, that's the hair chapter. Just watch how Corinthians 11 begins. I want you to know that the head of every man is God. The head of every woman is the man. It's God's order in the earth that you have woman headed by her husband, headed by the man, Christ Jesus, headed by the spirit that that flesh robed itself. 
You, you get me? You understand what I'm dealing with? There's one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. God is spirit. There's only one legal liquid that can deal with sin, and that's blood. If God remains spirit, he can't redeem anybody. So God takes on flesh. That's what the incarnation, that's why it's so powerful. To wit, God was in Christ, reconciling, you know, it, he that has seen me has seen the Father. You, you get that concept, and, 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 and that is absolutely, absolutely amazing. But, 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 oh my goodness. <laughs> my, my relationship with my brother and sister is so critical. Because you get to Corinthians 11, all that's about hair. No, it's not. It's about God's order in the earth. Hair is holy. No, it isn't. My wife's never cut her hair. That don't mean she's holy. I know Pentecostal women that have never cut their hair, but you need a driver's license for their tongue. I've met a lot of unsubmitted, long-haired women. Don't you get it? The concept, hair is not holy, but hair is symbol of something that is very holy, which is God's order in the earth. And when you deal with hair the way the Bible says you deal with it, you're saying, I realize God has an order in earth and I know my place. Read, 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 oh boy. I can get away with this because I don't have another service after this. Read John 14. In my father's house are many mansions. Okay? They always use that at a funeral. You know? Listen, you use the scripture to explain scripture. There's three places in the Bible where the concept father's house is used. In all three places, it's, it's referring to an actual building. The, the, the prodigal son said, servants in my father's house eat better than this. Jesus said, make not my father's house a den of thieves. He was talking about a temple, an actual building. All right, I forget where the third reference is. There's three places in the New Testament when it talks about father's house, it's talking about an actual building. But when you read the, the 20, I think it's the 26th chapter of Matthew, he said, your, your house, your house, it's not my, your house is left desolate. Why? Because he rent the veil. It wasn't for us to get in, it was for God to get out. Are you with me? Okay, so what's a mansion? Oh, that's a 28-star motel suite when you live in the snooty part of town. Not in the Bible. You can't build a doctrine on one verse. No scripture is a private interpretation. There's only one verse in the Bible that uses the word mansion. It's John 14. You know what the word mansion means? Dwelling place. Abode. Okay? This is what Paul told Timothy. We ought to know how to behave ourselves in the Father's house, the church of the living God. So use scripture to explain scripture. What's the Father's house today? The church. What's a mansion? A dwelling place. What is he saying? In the church, find your place. Just a thought. I've never seen a robin that wanted to be a red bird. I've, ne- I- I've never seen a cat that wanted to be a goat. I've never seen an apple tree that, 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 that wanted to be a lily pad. In nature, things just are what they were designed to do. All right? And when you do what you were designed to do, that's called completion. But in the church, we have competition. No, I want to be that. Maybe God didn't gift you to be that. Maybe you weren't supposed to do that. Why don't you find your place? Find where you fit. Find where your ministry is. Quit being greedy and covetous of something else and have a walk with God and find out what did he gift you to do? 
Hallelujah. And that's what Hare says. I realize I recognize my place. <laughs> so so that's, that's, that's 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 15. Here's, here's Corinthians eleven sixteen. If anyone seems to be contentious, neither I nor the churches that I'm responsible for have any other custom. And people say, see there, Paul is saying, well, if you don't believe what I just said, that's fine. Just do whatever you want. Do you really think he's going to spend 15 verses and then just give you an out and say it doesn't matter? This is what he's saying. In the churches that I'm responsible for, we all do the same thing. We don't do it any other way. So now you go on and you go past 16 and you get into 17. What's it talking about? Communion. All right. Oh, we had holy communion. Let me give you a little revelation. Communion is not holy. But communion is a symbol just like hair is a symbol of God's order in the earth. Communion is a symbol of something that's very holy. The body of Christ. And we got all these people going like this. Sorry for all you Catholics that are watching me right now. I'm not trying to denigrate what you do. Here's my problem with that. The issue is not the guy on the center cross. He said, I'll tell you why people are sick and dead. Because they don't discern the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ today? The church. Everybody knows who the guy was on the middle cross. But we think our relationship with our brother and sister is, is way down on a food chain. That's not accurate. Your relationship with your brother and sister is paramount in your relationship with God. Ah. If, you, if you'll listen to me. If you listen to me, something remarkable is going to happen to you. Guilt is going to lose its hold on you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Woo! <laughs> when that, when, oh my goodness. <sighs> we had a guy come to this church one time. He had to move away. He was a wonderful man. And, 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 and his sister was very wealthy. And, 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 uh, um, he asked me, he said, Pastor Robin, have you noticed anything different recently? And I said, no, not really. Why? So he wanted a meeting with me. And he said, uh, my sister is extremely wealthy. She's very angry that I'm coming to this church. She hired the best detective agency in Chicago. They've been following you for three months. I'm ashamed to tell you this, Pastor Robin, but she has a file on you eight inches thick. They hacked your email accounts. They've got your W-2s. They know how much money you make. They interviewed neighbors that you had in Atlanta. Then they told my sister, he's clean. <laughs> she said, everybody's got ghosts in the closet. She, they said, not this guy. We followed him. We listened to his phone calls. We've been through everything. His secretary has all his passwords to his accounts. This guy doesn't have any secrets. And so he said, my sister with chagrin just said, okay, you can go to that church. It's okay. Mark Twain something, said something powerful one time. He said, if you tell the truth, you don't ever have to remember. I, I tell this story, but it's so real to me. Sean Cabot, who, who now pastors in Port Huron, you know, came to this church for years, wonderful attorney, respected. I don't know how many states he practices law in now. But I said, how in the world could you ask somebody what they said 20 years ago? He said, oh, you're going to love this. He said, that's how we get him. He said, that's how I get him. He said, I just interviewed a police officer, you know, and he told me this a week ago. He said, I, I, was, I was in 
court this week. And he said, I told the police, I asked the police officer, officer, uh, did, did you say and did you do this? Absolutely not. I would never say that. I would never do this. He said, well, this is your transcript from five years ago. And you said that you said it and you said you did it. So I want to know, were you lying then or are you lying to me right now? And he said, Pastor, if you tell the truth all the time, you know exactly what you said five years ago. You know what you said 20 years ago because you're the same person now that you always were. But if you're a chameleon, I read something one time about a chameleon, ran across a piece of scotch plaid and exploded trying to relate to all the colors. What are you going to be tomorrow when church is over? What are you going to be this afternoon? Are you going to be a cheapskate bum and not tip your waitress? If you can't afford to tip, don't go. You can't afford to go out to eat. Just a thought. Every Abigail, are you in here? You ought to be standing screaming, yeah, pastor. She works at the hot dog place. I said, how you doing, Abby? She said, I made 120 bucks yesterday for four hours. 120 bucks at the hot. Hallelujah. Thank God for people that tip. I had a guy wash my car yesterday. Five, I don't know. It was cold, man. I gave him some money and he thankfully said, thank you. You know, it's just, ah, I'm rambling right now. Stand with me. Stand with me. As a sign, just a physical act that we're changing, I want you to get out of your seat and come up here by me. If for no other reason to say, I'm not going to be who I've been. I'm moving right now. I'm changing locations. Jeff Woodworth gave me a great text a couple weeks ago. He said, for Satan to bring that stuff up against me now is like, he said, that was two houses ago. He said, I don't live there anymore. (laughs) Let me pray over you. Lord Jesus, you must love common people because you sure did make an awful lot of us. And on a cold day, there's an enemy of my heart that just wants me to stay the way I've been. And I'm grateful for your word, Lord, that's disturbing me. I'm grateful for you plowing into my heart. I want this to be the greatest year of personal growth I've ever known. I want this to be the year when the prayer question is settled. I want this to be the year when my commitment question is settled. I want this to be the year that my worship question is settled. Lord Jesus, if I'm preaching and teaching to anybody right now that's in a valley of decision, I'm asking you today, I I can't do this. I can study, I can pray, I can prepare, but I can't convict anybody. That's your department. I've done the best I knew how to do. Now, God, I'm asking you to do a work that only you can do in my heart and in the heart of my brothers and sisters right now. Dear Jesus, please, don't let us be a normal apostolic church. Do not let us be a usual, a predictable. I'm asking you, God, we're asking you for miraculous. Too many things go on in this church that can be explained. We need things to happen that nobody can explain. I don't expect you to trust us with that kind of stuff. If we don't have a pure hands and a clean heart, we're not walking up the hill to your house, Lord. we don't understand this. So at the beginning and the genesis of this year, we're going on record to do more than say, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. We're going to do more than say the words. We're going to live the life. Whoever we have to go to, we'll go to them and make it right. Whatever we got to give, we'll give and make it right. Whatever we got to write, doesn't matter. I want this to be one uncomfortable situation.
situation, Lord, so that I get to a point that I don't want that to happen again. Disturb me. Disturb me, Lord. Because you know, you know what's lurking inside of me. You know. You know me better than my wife. You know me better than I know myself. Your word says nobody can know the heart. It's deceitfully evil above all things. But I do know that dude will just deceive me and it'll just lead me down a path that I don't need to go down. So Father, I ask you to forgive us for words that we've said, places we've been, things that we've handled, things that we've heard and seen. I'm asking you God right now, I'm asking you God right now to forgive us from all iniquity and all unrighteousness. But that's between you and me. I am not expecting my relationship with you to trump my relationship with my brother and my sister. I don't want any funnies between my brother and I. I don't want any hurdles between my sister and I. So Lord, whatever I have to do to make this thing right, nobody was more wrong than you. And yet you took all of that wrong and said, forgive them because they don't know what they do. Because either it's going to have to be paid or somebody's going to have to forgive the debt. But one way or the other, this guilt and this anger and this greed and this jealousy is just going to eat us alive. And we're not ever going to become the man or the woman we know. We know you called us to be, but as of yet, have never been. We're leaving this place to serve you. This is not just a church we come to. This is a place we go from. And as we go from this place today, we make a covenant with you around this altar. You are a covenant giving and a covenant keeping God. This is not just words. This is not just vain repetition. We are in covenant with you, Lord. And because of that covenant, you said, if, if, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray turn from wicked things and seek my face. Then I'll hear and I'll heal. So whatever, whatever we have to turn away from, whatever prayers need to be prayed, whatever humbling that needs to be done, Lord Jesus, we make a vow around this altar. We're going to do that. Amen. Now let's thank him together. Let's sing. Everybody's in the choir. Let's sing together.
Our job is to stay humble. It says he resists the proud. He hates proud people. Wow. Our job is to stay proud. His job is to promote our success. Don't get those things confused. Because <laughs> if you start promoting yourself, Jesus will say, okay, if you're going to do my job, I'm going to do yours. I'm going to humble you. <laughs> when he humbles you, he is very, very good at it. Trust me, very good at it. The Bible says you can fall on a rock, break, or you can let the rock fall on you and be crushed. Let's, let's fall on a rock, okay? Some people's sins go before them, some follow them. Let's get them ahead of us. Let's get them ahead of us. Let's just get that dealt with. You, you don't want to, we're all going to be judged. Everybody's going to give an account of the deeds done in the body. Can't you see people in that line? That's going to be a long line. Get it dealt with now. I love you. It's been an honor to teach you the word of the Lord today. Stay warm. I prophesy summer's coming. In Jesus' name. I love you. Greet one another. Amen. Let's guard your heart. Guard your heart. That's where the issues of life are.